She Makes Money Moves is the production of Glamour and iHeartRadio. I've been trying to live by the advice of do what you love and the money will follow. I'm definitely doing what I love, but so far the money hasn't followed. I'm Samantha Barry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour, and this is She Makes Money Moves. 40% of entrepreneurs are women. Some of those women leave traditional 9-to-5 jobs because they want a flexible schedule. Others start a business so they can be their own boss. But for many, starting a business is a way to follow a passion while leaving an uninspiring career behind. When today's guest left her job in 2014 to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, she was transformed by the experience. She started a business inspired by that trip, but she's struggling to grow it and has to take on side jobs to get by. This is her story. I'm Caroline Hinchliffe. I'm 36. I live in White Salmon, Washington, and I'm the founder of a business called Eat, Hike, Love, which connects women with food, nature, and each other. I love what I do, and I'm so passionate about it, but the money hasn't really shown up for me yet. Some women have always wanted to be entrepreneurs. Caroline was not one of them. I never actually wanted to own my own business. I worked during my 20s in a lot of different jobs in hospitality and tourism. And I started thinking maybe I want more of a quote unquote real job, an office job or a sales job or something that I can tell other adults about. And they'll say to me, oh, good, you're doing it right. You're following the path that most people are supposed to follow. By 2014, Caroline was working at a software company, earning $65,000 a year. She was in a management role with a steady upward trajectory. But despite all of her outward career success, Caroline was struggling internally as she approached her 30th birthday. I was having a really hard time going to work in the morning. I was having a lot of anxiety during my morning commute. And while I was there, I constantly found myself looking out the window and daydreaming and feeling like something was wrong. I was sitting in this desk chair, staring at this computer, and I felt like I needed to be somewhere else. My performance didn't go down at work, but I slowly, steadily started to mentally check out. So I started asking big questions about who I was and what I was doing and why I was doing it, and I I couldn't answer any of those questions. I started to realize that I didn't really know myself, and I didn't really like myself. Around that time, Caroline's dad told her about a book that he, Oprah, and a few million other people had just read. Cheryl Strayed's memoir, Wild. If you missed the book and the movie, which starred Reese Witherspoon, Wild tells the story of Strayed's divorce, her mother's untimely death, and the 1,100-mile hike she took along the Pacific Crest Trail that helped heal the wounds from both. And he said to me, Caroline, this woman was facing much bigger challenges than what you're facing, and she got through it. And if she can get through it, you can get through it. He certainly didn't think that I would ever consider hiking the trail, and I had never even heard of it until then. I think he just thought I would find inspiration in her story. And months went by. I thought about it once or twice. But one day I was at a coffee shop, and I just started crying. And I had this overwhelming realization that 
I really wanted to hike the trail. And I was terrified because I wasn't a big hiker. I'd never been backpacking before. But I just had this feeling that I had to leave everything I knew behind because whatever I was doing wasn't working. The Pacific Crest Trail spans 2,650 miles across California, Oregon, and Washington State. Caroline wanted to follow Strayed's footsteps along it. She threw herself into research. Hiking the entire trail would take five months and cost somewhere between $5,000 and $10,000. She already had $5,000 in savings, but she'd need more time to save the rest and prepare herself physically. She gave her boss six months' notice. My boss said okay, but the very next day when I went into work, he called me into his office and he offered me a $10,000 raise, a promotion, and a month of paid vacation to hike part of the trail if I would stay in the job instead of leaving to hike the entire trail. I was floored. I went home that evening and cried and cried. I couldn't believe that I had to make a decision between what my heart wanted to do and an offer from him that was too good to refuse. I thought I would be stupid to say no to this. Caroline accepted her boss's offer, but she felt uneasy with her decision. Four months later, when the hiking season began, she'd reached a breaking point. I was commuting one morning. I was sitting in gridlock traffic. It was a beautiful Seattle day, and I could look to the east and see mountains sparkling, and I could look to the west and see mountains over there. My heart just dropped. I had this moment on the freeway where I realized I made the wrong decision. I chose money over my heart. I chose money over my passion. I chose money over figuring out who I really am and what's important to me. I made the wrong choice. I have to quit this job. When Caroline finally got to work, she gave her two weeks notice. I was worried that my boss would be angry with me. I was worried he'd be disappointed or upset. But he simply nodded and said, you've got to do what you've got to do. And if you want a job when you get home, it'll be waiting for you. Fifteen days later, she hit the trail. To save money, Caroline gave up her apartment so she wouldn't have to pay rent while she was hiking. The $5,000 she had in the bank would need to cover her hiking expenses and the payments on her cell phone and student loans, which she had automated. It turns out her savings weren't enough. By the time Caroline had arrived at the northern territory of the trail, she had run out of money. I knew that I had a choice. I could quit the hike and go back home and go back to work, or I could finish the hike somehow. And at that point, it felt so important for me to finish the hike that I put a lot of my remaining expenses on a credit card. So on top of the debt that was already on the card, I added about $2,000 more. When she returned home after the hike, Caroline was anxious about money and eager to have a steady income. She moved in with her parents in Seattle and returned to her software job. Earning money gave her a sense of comfort, but it didn't last long. The anxiety that I'd felt before I left for the hike had increased tenfold. I hated going to work. I felt like something was wrong. I felt like I shouldn't be there. My heart did not want to be there. My soul did not want to be there. So before I had a chance to pay off the debt from the hike or to replenish my savings, I ended up quitting and deciding to move to Portland and go to graduate school. Caroline's decision to return to school and study naturopathic and holistic nutrition was inspired by our hike on the Pacific Crest Trail. Before the hike, I struggled with food and body image for more than 17 years. And 
it wasn't getting better. I was in and out of an eating disorder and constantly struggling to feel good about myself, what I was eating, my body. And on my hike, for the first time in my teen and adult life, I felt good about my body. I felt confident about what I was doing and what I looked like. I healed my relationship with food. I was able to finally listen to my body's signals for the first time and to honor them and to let go of an attachment to external circumstances. I realized for the first time that it didn't really matter what shape or size I was, that all that mattered was that I was feeling good and taking care of myself. And when I came home from the hike, I wanted to keep that confidence. I wanted to learn more about food and our bodies, specifically to help other women go through a similar transformation. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. Caroline moved to Portland with $400 in savings. She needed to cover graduate school tuition and living expenses. So she took out $60,000 in student loans. She was concerned about the financial commitment, but assumed she would have good career options when she graduated. I wanted to get a job, and I applied for jobs in Portland and jobs in Seattle, and I had some success with those applications. I was interviewed for many jobs, and actually for a few of them, I got into the final round where it was me and one other person. And after all that, I ended up being told, you did really well, but we hired the other person. And after a few experiences like this, I was pretty crestfallen. I just started to feel like I was at a bit of a dead end. Nothing I was trying was working out. And that's when it occurred to me, maybe I need to forge my own path. The idea for starting my business, Eat, Hike, Love, began when people told me over and over how inspired they were by my story. The way that I left a life that wasn't serving me and pursued a life of health and freedom. And I started to realize that everything I'd learned over the years about food and time spent in nature and self-care that I could teach others. And since I wasn't having success getting a regular job anyway, I thought, why don't I turn this into a business? Why don't I see if I can start doing some nutrition coaching through my own business, start leading events where We go as groups of women into the wilderness to experience the benefits there together. In the summer of 2017, Caroline led her first women's retreat with a group of friends and was encouraged by the positive feedback. She continued to work in the hospitality industry so she could support herself and invest in her business, Eat, Hike, Love. It was not something that I was able to plan for very far into the future because I was pretty much living paycheck to paycheck And again, just hoping that it would all work out with the money that I had. The business is slowly gaining traction. She led two retreats for Eat Hike Love in 2018 and five in 2019. Caroline's making some money from the business, but not nearly enough to live on. My first year, I made $1,500. This year, I'm on track to make close to $9,000. So I know I'm doing something right, but... Obviously, $9,000 doesn't come close to creating an annual income that I can live on. So in the meantime, I'm still waiting tables and it's fine. 
it's a hard job in that the more time I spend waiting tables, the less energy I have to build my own business. So I have to be careful that I don't work too much in the restaurant or I don't have the energy left to work on Eat, Hike, Love. So I've supplemented with a couple of other things too. I work at a local winery sometimes, helping them do their bottling or picking grapes. And I do a lot of pet sitting. Caroline knows she's fortunate. She hasn't been able to build up savings. But when unexpected expenses pop up, her parents and her boyfriend are able to help. She pays them back. But at 36, she'd prefer to be financially independent. For Caroline, that would mean $4,000 to $5,000 a month versus the two to 3000 she's currently making. She could charge more for her services, which range from $150 to $600, but she also wants to remain affordable. Caroline's happy with the path she's chosen, but her money struggles often make her wonder if she's done the right thing. I've been trying to live by the advice of do what you love and the money will follow. I'm definitely doing what I love, but so far the money hasn't followed. At least once a month, I have a moment or a day where I think I've had enough. I can't live like this anymore. This financial stress is too hard. I'm just going to go back to the way I was before. I'm just going to get a job. I'm going to go work in an office nine to five and I'm going to suck it up and just make it happen. And I do go online and I start looking for jobs and I think I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. But after about 30 or 45 minutes of looking at online job postings, I find myself heartbroken, in tears. And I think about the women who I've met so far on my retreats and the women who I've coached with food and nutrition. And I think about how it would feel to walk away from everything that I've built so far. This business hasn't really been able to support me financially, but I know I'm making an impact. It feels good to me and it feels good to my clients. And so at the end of the day, I'm not really ready to go back to the nine to five. I feel like I owe this business more of my energy and more time. I really want it to keep growing. I think I'm on the right track, but I'm not very patient. I want it to happen faster than it's happening. (laughs) I don't want to worry about money anymore. It's exhausting and it's emotionally taxing. I want to know that if my car breaks down, I have the money to fix it. I don't want to have to wait tables in the evenings. I want to do so much more with my life instead of constantly worrying whether I'm going to be able to make it and hoping that it all works out. I want to have more confidence knowing that it is working out and that I'm taking steps to make sure it does. I'd love some advice around staying positive, staying focused on the long-term goal instead of getting worried about financial troubles in the present moment. Today's expert knows what it's like to leave a steady paycheck to pursue a passion. Hi, I'm Ashley Feinstein-Gersley. I'm a money coach and founder of The Fiscal Femme and the author of The 30-Day Money Cleanse. Okay, so Caroline, I mean, her passion just comes out in her story. I loved hearing about Eat, Hike, Love, but she's not in the best place financially. What stood out for you in Caroline's story? So much of myself. (laughs) I really (laughs) related to Caroline's story. I built my business on the side while I was working and ended up having to work full time on it before it was financially viable. And so I'm so excited about the work she's doing, but I definitely feel her struggles for sure. So like Caroline, a lot of people listening to this will have passion projects that they might be doing not full time yet, 
but they're doing it the weekend, they're doing it in the evenings. What's the marker for when you can turn a passion project into a full-time job? That's a really good question. So it it depends on the person. So for me, I'm a planner. And the more savings I had, the more comfortable I felt. In my corporate job, I had a spreadsheet called Project Freedom. And every time I saved money, I would add to my Project Freedom fund. And I knew, okay, based on my expenses, this is how long my business could last without me earning income. And so it felt really exciting to put money aside. You hear stories about people who quit with $500 and that really put a fire under them and that's how they got started. But that's not That's terrifying. I know. (laughs) That doesn't work for me. It works for some people. So I think the biggest financial thing to plan for is to have savings or some form of investment so that you have runway to not feel like you have to take on every project or have to say yes to everything and you can build your business more strategically the way you want. Your business model may change, but you need to have one going into, if you're trying to turn your passion project to a full-time job, you have to start projecting. How does that actually become a business? Yes. And I think, so having the number like Caroline has, the $5,000 mark, that's the goal. And then from there, the business model is essentially saying, what makes up that 5000 Does that mean that I have to have 10 clients? Does that mean that I have to have two retreats a year? And if I do, that's going to be big income in those two times a year that I want to make sure last over the rest of the year. So thinking about, okay, this is what I need, I want to earn, and how do I actually earn that? More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. So how can Caroline grow her business into something that's more financially viable? What's your advice for her? I work with so many and in my community, there's so many like badass, amazing women who have it all going on. And they're like, well, but why can't I figure out this money stuff? And so I hear Caroline saying that and we have a lot working against us. It's not something that we're educated about. And, you know, her background is not in creating this financial structure for her business. But I would say for Caroline, the biggest advice I would have is to look at her business model, especially in what she's charging rates for her hours and for these retreats. I think she's undercharging for this. I 100% uh, Right? I think when I dug through the numbers, I was like, Caroline is not putting the right value on her business. And that's what it is. It's her business. And I think there's an undervaluation of what that looks like as an income. If you take into account, you should be taking into account, what does my healthcare cost me? What does my retirement fund cost me? What do true profits look like on this endeavor? I think she's undervaluing, right? Yes. And I think there, there's this thing that we tend to do is we imagine, okay, if I took that hourly rate and multiplied it by every hour, but the amount of hours it takes for her to book the hour to coach someone or to put together the retreats, I know she mentioned she wanted to have it be inclusive and accessible, but it benefits people when they pay. They show up differently when they invest in something. And if she doesn't make her business sustainable, she won't be able to do this and she won't be able to give her gifts to the world. So there are many reasons for her to charge more. And I've heard this from women in my life before that have gone from full-time employment to doing something they really care about. And it just seems overwhelming to understand how much they should charge for an hour of their time. Is there any math we can have them to start thinking? Is there any resources where if you're trying to understand what a truly profitable passion for you would look like that you can start pricing that out? Where should they go for that information? So I am a big fan of talking with people who are a couple years ahead of you. 
They don't have to be someone who's your role model in life. You don't have to find Beyonce, but talk to somebody who's doing something similar and just a few years ahead. And then looking at it realistically, because how many hours will she be doing this? What does it take to run the business otherwise? So you can also map that out financially. And sometimes it's hard to negotiate for ourselves or to think about how much I'm worth. But imagine that you're doing it for other women who are starting businesses and what you would say to your friend in the same position, like what her time is worth. Absolutely, Caroline, you should be charging more. And if you're worried about people not being able to afford your services, you can offer a discount for students or host a shorter retreat at a lower rate. It's great that you care about your customers, but you need to worry more about your own bottom line and less about their personal budgets. You can't be in the business of helping people if you can't actually afford to stay in business. Even creating a printable workbook or some something that if someone came to her and doesn't have the funds that she could point them to, that would be a really great resource that then she could be more exclusive and get paid for the things that takes a lot of her time. Exactly. There are ways that she can help the people who can't afford her full services that don't involve selling herself short. Caroline loves hiking and the outdoors and food and nature and retreats that comes across. Is there other ways she can be making money through that passion? Maybe if she's a good writer, she could write for a travel publication. Maybe there's speaking engagements. I don't know if she has completely looked across the spectrum Mm. of what her passion could mean for diversified revenue. I love that. And to focus on projects that she can make more money and charge more versus, I think, a natural tendency to want to say yes to everything and then we have no time. So it sounds like Caroline, in terms of finances at least, is quite stressed. What strategies can she use to stay motivated and positive and focus on her business in the long term? It's interesting. We often think of having a financial plan as being restricting, but it often opens up so much more creativity because then you're not spending your time worrying about this. So thinking about all of the things she's doing on the side to earn money, maybe there's something that she can do more consistently that takes less because she's essentially running a lot of other businesses by having the pet sitting business and the winery winery and the restaurant. So if there's one thing for her to get some steady income, that could be really helpful so she can be freer to think more strategically about her business and less feeling like she has to say yes to everything. Maybe she could get a part-time job at a store that sells hiking equipment where she could meet women who are interested in hiking retreats and also earn a steady paycheck. Yes, let's say that she works at the hike shop that has, it's a sustainable small business. So learning about how they maintain that business financially. So using it to also help with the things that she wants to learn more about. I love the idea of having it be a natural win-win for growing her business too. One of the things that Caroline said in her story, which I'm sure many people listening are guilty of, when big expenses arise, she borrows from her parents or her live-in partner. That doesn't make her feel good about herself, but she knows she needs to get to four to five K a month so she can be independent. And at least she has that number, but now it's the business and the financial model around it. And it's so important to know that 5K number. I think you wake up in a very different way knowing that you have to hit 5K versus some amorphous thing you're you're going after. So that's huge that she knows that number. And I would even think she might want to add a little to that just so that she can start building that buffer and set that aspirational goal. Exactly. So as Caroline takes a look at her own business, what should she focus on? What's her first step? So I think a financial model is something that I see a lot, especially people who are more creative. They don't sit down and map that out. So what it looks like, it can be very simple, but how I like to look at it is month by month. So looking at the next 12 months, 
what do you expect to be coming in and do it pretty conservatively. I tend to make like these huge growth plans and that's great, but also what realistically will come in. So looking at, okay, I have this many clients right now. I can expect to get one new one every quarter or however she sees it. And then when she has her retreats, what the income is. So that's kind of how she would look at the top line. And then all the expenses associated with the business for entrepreneurs, any way we can smooth out the volatility of our expenses is really helpful. So if she has a big annual subscription that throws her off, potentially putting money aside every month instead of once a year for that subscription. So any way we can make the financial part easier for us is really helpful. How else can Caroline stay motivated through the ups and downs as she's growing her business? So definitely to the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, one thing that I created was a tribe. And it's a group of entrepreneurs. We're all in different areas, but we meet monthly and we support each other because sometimes your partners or your friends get sick of hearing about this. So it helps those other relationships to have people to lean on and to help you evaluate because it sets me back personally if I'm always thinking, is this the right decision? We get so in the weeds on it that it's helpful to have mentors and other entrepreneurs and our peers help us. Most people on the 9 to 5 career path have probably dreamed of stepping off to join the Peace Corps or the circus, anything to get out. The good news is that you don't have to learn to be a trapeze artist to get away from a terrible job or a terrible boss. You can start your own business, but you can't become your own terrible boss. Hopefully you'll never have to work for someone who's not paying you enough. If you're starting a business, you literally owe it to yourself to make sure that business can support you. Whatever you're selling, whether it's hiking retreats or hand-knit blankets, you need to charge enough to sustain your business. You might not make enough in the first few years, but you need a clear-cut plan to profitability. Otherwise, you'll wind up back at a 9-to-5 job feeling even more resentful. A business can't survive on passion alone. So figure out your business model and the financial plan and find a community of entrepreneurs on and offline who you can turn to when you need advice, support, or motivation. To learn more about what we've talked about in this episode, visit glamour.com money. And if you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear it and help you make money moves. Email us at money at glamour.com. She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. I'm your host and Glamour's editor-in-chief, Samantha Barry. The podcast is co-written and co-produced by Kim Fusaro and Deanna Buckman with support from Lauren Brown West Rosenthal. Editorial oversight is provided by Maddie Kahn. Christina Everett is our executive producer. Mary Dew is our audio engineer. Recording help provided by Court Weber. Julie Shen heads up business and development of this podcast and Pat Singer heads up our research team. Special thanks to Ashley Feinstein and our guest Caroline for sharing her story. <laughs>